for me, what happened, and, and a lot of it was, I mean, you know, we can go into the story or if, if you want or not, but essentially a lot of the, 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 the reason why I left was also a lot of circumstances and timing where, so because I went to school abroad um, and I didn't end up getting a residency spot uh, for a Canadian job, I also had a, basically like a year off to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And so in that year off, I was actually initially supposed to take a, a master's degree. Like it was a one-year master's where you learned about drug discovery and the pharma industry. And so that was my initial plan. And that was what I thought I was going to do. And, you know, maybe come back to medicine, not really sure, but see if I could get in, essentially more education. And during that time, I just literally started applying to jobs, started talking to people, having conversations. Um, and then, you know, somehow one opportunity came up that was really interesting and they liked me. And so I said, okay, like, why not try this thing? And, and it's, it's, it was crazy because I think like, so it was a VC firm that was based in the Netherlands. And I will never forget, like the first month I was in there, I woke up one morning and I was like, so excited to go to work. Anish, who is Ted Lasso and why do you like him so much? Okay. Great question. Uh, Ted Lasso, so he's a character on a show uh, that's done on Apple TV. And he's a, it, it's really funny because the backstory was initially he was a, a character that NBC used for a commercial to market the EPL in America. And it was literally just like a five minute skit that they did online and they got Jason Sudeikis to come in and be this like bumbling idiot American that tried to go over to the UK and, you know, try to be funny and, and you know, understand soccer, particularly from a fo like football perspective. Um, and they did it. It was so funny that they did it again, like in terms of they had a second year where they ran the same thing. And then eventually Apple TV picked it up for a show. And to me, it was one of those shows that like when you watch it and I think it's two seasons through now, like you feel so good about yourself. Uh, like after watching it, like it's one of the, you like, you feel happy. You're like super, you know, grateful. There's a lot of like lessons that are like nice. It's, it's just one of those, like for me, it was very refreshing because I remember watching it during COVID and, you know, everything sat outside and depressing oh, and, man. you know, then you're like, oh Jesus. And, uh, and, and so you watch it and you're like, oh, this is like nice. This is like a nice guy who's like talking about really nice things. And, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the reason why it kind of came out. But uh, have you, have you seen it? Have you seen the episodes or watched it before? And I haven't. I, I totally okay. just creeped your website and then okay, tried cool. to find something to glom on for an intro. But yeah, yeah. Um, welcome to How It's Med, the podcast <laughs> where we chat with people about Ted Lasso and also yeah. about people who are shaping the future of health tech and healthcare. Uh, today, our guest is the one and only writer extraordinaire, amateur sports analyst, and investment analyst at Canadian VC firm Amplitude Ventures, uh, Anish Kaushal. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you so much. Appreciate the intro. It's uh, nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. Doing good today. Yeah. What's new with you? What's going on? Uh, not much, just, you know, busy working. I mean, I was actually in Vancouver earlier this week for, for, uh, Dillard and company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh. It, the, oh. I, you know what? It was, it was so quick though. Like I literally, I got there Tuesday night. I had meetings all day Wednesday and like flew out Thursday morning. So I wish I spent more time, but man, like Vancouver is so nice. Like when it's sunny and you drive around, you're like, holy crap, this is like incredible. Like mountains everywhere, the water, like anyway. So yeah. So anyway, with busy doing that and then, you know, we have events and stuff coming up and, like I was at one last night. It's yeah, be, being a VC, the fun, the fun life of being a VC for sure. We'll talk about that later because it seems yeah. like it's a lot more involved than just reading reports and doing uh, what the the pretty dry title investment analyst implies. Yeah. yeah. But I, I guess so for some context, listener, uh, Anish and I chatted a little while back uh, when he reached out after episode with Dr. Apus. It's episode 15 of our Physician Founded series. And he seemed like a cool guy. And his story was super relevant or is super relevant to people who want to get into health tech from another field, for example, from medicine in Nisha's case. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the, the overall overarching explanation. So, Anish, you've got an MBBS, so that's the equivalent of an MD. 
And yep. I'll edit in the record scratch later about, you yep. know, how did you get here? Uh, but you got the degree. So why aren't you working as a physician in Canada, despite the massive shortage of physicians that are speaking? Yeah, good, great question. Um, so I think for me, it was figuring out, and I was fortunate enough when I was in school that I didn't absolutely love what I was doing. So, you know, medicine was when I got in, it was a, it was a great job. I, you know, I thought I was decent at it. I, I knew what I was doing. I, I thought it was okay, but I never woke up like really excited to go to work. Like I didn't enjoy hospital environments, even clinics that I worked in. I was like, okay, yeah, this is fine as a job. Like I know what I'm doing, but I wasn't like, oh, this is super exciting and interesting and different. And so for me, what happened, and, and a lot of it was, I mean, you know, we can go into the story or if, if you want or not, but essentially a lot of the, 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 the reason why I left was also a lot of circumstances and timing where, so because I went to school abroad um, and I didn't end up getting a residency spot uh, for a Canadian job, I also had a, basically like a year off to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And from that year off, I was actually initially supposed to take uh, a, a master's degree. Like it was a one-year master's where you learned about drug discovery and the pharma industry. And so that was my initial plan. And that was what I thought I was going to do. And, you know, maybe come back to medicine, not really sure, but see if I could get essentially more education. And during that time, I just literally started applying to jobs, started talking to people, having conversations. Um, and then, you know, somehow one opportunity came up that was really interesting and they liked me. And so I said, okay, like, why not try this thing? And, and it's, it, it was crazy because I think like, so it was a VC firm that was based in the Netherlands. And I will never forget, like the first month I was in there, I woke up one morning and I was like, so excited to go to work. Like I was actually for the first time in my life, I was like, I cannot wait to get to work and like learn from these people. And I can guarantee you in medicine, in six years that I was doing it, I never once felt that. Like, you know, I like, I like seeing friends and I like partying and I like doing all the other stuff. But in terms of getting up to go to a clinic or go to a hospital, I never felt that. And so for me, it was just, I think I got really fortunate. I, I you know, I found a really good opportunity. I really liked it and thought, okay, like, let me, let me see where this takes me and, and see where it goes. Yeah. So before we drop off into... I guess the beginning of your story, like what in particular excited you about your work uh, with M Ventures? Yeah, it was it was honestly just the fact that it was so different. Like it was so unique. All these people were really smart. I was like looking at stuff where, like at that time, we were doing a lot of oncology research. So it was like reading a lot of oncology papers, looking at companies that are like how do they targeting like different ways to you know target different types of cancers, whether it's like a cell therapy, gene therapy, small molecule, like antibody, like you know, and and also just the idea of like learning something brand new where. You know, you have to understand like mouse data and in vivo data and like, you know, how to search on PubMed and especially with topics that I like have no background with, right? Like, so I was never a scientist. Like, you know, I, I, was, I didn't spend any time in the lab. Like I did some research when I was in university, but that was all like clinically based and a lot of like database research and stuff. So I knew how to like read papers and stuff, but that was about it. Like I never actually like pipetted and, and done all of that. And so to me, it was like the fact that I could learn something completely new. That was really interesting. And also the people that I worked with were really cool and like really smart, really interesting, like vast experience across like the world, which was so awesome. Um, and so you get to hear these people like talk about, you know, the drugs of the future and how they're funding and also be able to, I think the experience of like being at a pharma company where like, you know, we also interface with like their internal teams on the like oncology side. So they would tell us like, oh, this is interesting. This is not interesting. Like that kind of stuff was like very cool because it was so different. Like it's so different than medicine. There was no admin. There's no like writing notes. There's no, you know, the classic stuff that you have to deal with. Like it was just like, oh, me reading and seeing all these really cool companies come pitch to us and thinking about like the future of oncology. And so that was part of the reason why I thought it was really, really cool. So you didn't miss writing notes one bit. I'm, I'm personally offended I, by that. <laughs> I have to say I did not. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so to, to go way, way, way back to the beginning. Uh, did you grow up in a household where the a career in medicine was kind of like foisted on you or was that something that you decided early on? 
I would say kind of a mix of both. I would say it wasn't maybe necessarily like, this is what you're doing. You have to do this. But it was also like subconsciously like, oh, yeah, like you should be a doctor because like, you know, doctors are great and that's what you should do. And and also like, you know, when you're younger, like I was decent at science and math. And so the standard answer and standard thing to do is this is what you're this is how you kind of, you know, this is the path that you're going to take. But I mean, I would never say like my parents were like, oh, you absolutely have to do medicine. Like this is the only thing you can do. It was more like, you know, we think that you'd be good at it. And like, you know, the uh, at the same time, like a lot of my parents' friends, like, even though my parents aren't doctors, I had a lot like their friends are doctors and my aunt is a doctor. And so like growing up and seeing those kinds of people, I think around um, and like just understanding, like, you know, when you're a kid and in high school and you're good at science and math and then like you, you know, observe or like you go to a clinic and you're like, okay, like, I guess this is the job. Like, I guess this is cool. And so like, you know, you make that decision when you're so young um, and, you know, not realizing as you eventually, when you go through medicine, you're like, oh shit, this is very different than what I thought it was going to be. And, and I think the idea that, you know, a lot of, especially a lot of, I keep thinking about immigrant parents where it's like, people think of doctors mostly for like reputation. It's like, oh, you know, you'll get a good job. Like you'll do really well. Like you'll make a lot of money. Like it's great. And that's fine. And it's true. And I, I'm not going to discount that, but at the same time, like it's a grind and it's so it's tough and it's a long hours and sometimes like very repetitive doing similar things. And to me, it was like, if you don't love it when you're doing it, then like, you're not really sure. And so it's so going back to your original question. Sorry, I'm like, you know, what I was forced into it, not necessarily, but it was kind of always like, that was the path I was going to take. Mm -hmm. That's fair enough. And I mean, whether or not you were forced into it and whether or not it was of your own volition, you didn't end up going to Canadian medical school. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned before that you had applied, but you chose mm -hmm. to go out of the country. Like, mm -hmm. what was the thinking behind that? Because I know that quite a few of my colleagues here in Western have done that, but I'm yeah. not sure what the thought process was. Yeah. So for me, honestly, the, the reason why was because I had started doing some research when I was in like, I think it was like grade 10, grade 11, and you could get into medicine directly out of high school. And so that was a big game changer for me where, you know, in the UK and in Ireland and like down South, like in, in the Caribbean stuff, like you could go right out of high school. And so that became interesting because it was like, then I could avoid the, like doing the undergrad, taking the MCAT, like maybe not doing well or like, you know, not being able to interview properly. Cause like, I remember seeing it with so many of my friends and, you know, you all have stories. I'm sure you knew many people too, like where, you know, they went into science and it's like, I'm going to be a doctor for sure. And then you don't do well on organic chemistry or chem or physics or whatever. And your MCAT score, like you're deficient in one section out of the whole thing. And it's like, you know, this person would be a good doctor. They applied three years in a row. They write it, they study for an MCAT three months of the year, every single year, and then they don't get in. And then you're like kind of sitting there like, oh shit, like, you know, I'm kind of stuck because I've always wanted to do this thing. And I, you know, and now I'm, what else, what else am I going to do? And so I think for me, I was just fortunate because I think my parents or like, especially my dad had the foresight to be like, Hey, like if you can go abroad and get in right out of high school and you can take that opportunity now, then you can deal with all this residency stuff and getting into a job afterwards. But at least at the end of it, you get a degree that's in medicine, like you get a medical degree, right? And so you don't have to take that risk. So a lot of it was for that reason, genuinely. Um, and then also it was just the idea of like, if I could study abroad, how cool would that be? Like, you know, being able to, I think like I was just very fortunate that I had the opportunity to do that because I know a lot of people don't. And, you know, I'm super lucky and privileged that I did have that. Um, but being able to study abroad, like in anything and in any opportunity, being able to leave your country and where you are to go to a brand new place and figure out your life out um, is super, is super like, for me, it was super gratifying because like you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about the world. You learn a lot about other people. Um, and you meet, and like, you realize like, you know, you can go to all these places and like, you're just as good as all of these other people. Cause I think that was the other thing I struggled with a lot at the beginning was this imposter syndrome that, you know, we all have, and I don't think ever really goes away, but, um, coming from Canada, I was like, you know, going to like, I went to the university of St. Andrews where like, you know, the Royals went like Prince William and Kate, and, you know, you show up there and 
It's all these people from like the top schools in the UK that are coming that are all top of their class. And like, you're sitting there and you're like, you know, and at the time I was 17 because I, I ended up skipping the grades. So like I was really young, right? But I was the youngest of my years. Like I was sitting next to people who were like 21, 22. And I'm here's like the 17 year old kid just like sitting there like, oh, okay, what am I going to do now? Uh, and so, so for me, like, and then when you get there, you're like, okay, I can kind of figure this out. Like I'm not as dumb as I think I am. Like, okay, I, I kind of know some things. Um, and so, yeah, so the re really like the reason why was mostly just because of the opportunity to leave right out of high school and to sort of get that degree and then to kind of deal with all the stuff down the road. Um, but yeah, no regrets about it. Best decision I ever made for sure. I mean, would you still say that it's the best decision ever made still? Because I mean, just thinking about the next steps coming back to Canada, you had a bit of a struggle, didn't you? Yeah. Can you tell yeah. us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, it, it still was, and I would do it again in a heartbeat and I would, I would always sign up for it. Um, so, so in terms of, I guess the struggle is to get back to Canada. So basically at the time when I was applying back, you had to do two exams. So one of them was the, the key. It was like the MCC double E or something. Um, that was, oh. you know, you probably heard part about it. Exactly. It gives me a nightmare. Um, where you're like, you know, learning about why avocado is like a great thing. Anyway, there's all these stupid questions that are not even relevant. Um, and so, so anyway, so at the time when I was applying back, we, um, we had to do the McKee and the Nakoski. So it was like the clinical exam that you, you kind of had to do. And so what happened was initially when I joined the program that I joined, it was a very new program. So the program was called like the, the sort of Ed, uh, Edinburgh St. Andrews uh, Canadian medical program, basically where they take like 10 to 15 kids out of high schools in Canada. So like a lot of my classmates are all Canadian. So like from Vancouver, from like Toronto, from elsewhere, um, and they take them and you train in the UK. So you do six years there. You also do like a, a, a sort of summer of elective. Uh, and like, you know, we were at the U of A in Alberta. So I spent the summer in Edmonton. Um, and during that time, they like help you get back to Canada. Okay. So that was the initially like when it was conceived, but we were the second year that it had started. So it was brand new. Like we, there was no training. There was no, like they, they literally just started this and we were like the guinea pigs almost basically. Yeah. Gong show. And well, it, well it, it ended up being a very big gong show. Um, because so essentially they're, they like told us, so like, oh, we're going to help you. Like, oh, you know, we're, we'll do our best to make sure like, you know, you guys are well positioned to get back to Canada. And I remember having a conversation in my fourth year. So this is when I was going to my clinical rotations, like at the University of Edinburgh. And I sat down with like the, the preceptor, essentially our supervisor for like the program. And he was actually a doc that's in the U of A. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, what is your definition of success? Like how many people, like it was, I think 10 of us applying. He's like, how many, how many people do you think are going to get in like to a, a residency spot? He's like the first time, I think it's going to be about 80%, like eight to 10 of you will get a job. I was like, that's okay. That's pretty good odds. Like, you know, the other two people, like, you know, you spend a year, you do something else and you come back, no problem, all good. Um, and then what you realize as you go through it is they had no idea about the exam, about preparation, about tutoring, about like how to do well, how not to do well. They also gave us wrong information. So he told me at the time, he was like, all you have to do for the McKee is pass and you pass an Akoski. And if you do all the research and, you know, observerships and reports and writing and all that, you'll, you'll be fine and you can get an interview. And after that, like it's all, it's, it's out of our hands. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Like, I, so, you know, every summer I was home, I did the research, I got the papers. I had first thought the publications. I did the observerships. I did all the electives. I did all of that. Turns out after doing, after I finished the McKee, that it's not, you need to get a good mark. Uh, and so what happened for me was I, I ended up getting, so there was a, a threshold for cutoffs for most of the programs that you need to get. I think it was about 325 and the pass mark was 275 or 250. I think it was. I got right in the middle. And so for me, the problem with that was you can't retake the exam. Uh, and I had nothing, I, I was stuck, right? So at the time I, I couldn't do anything. I was basically like, and, and the thing was, is I didn't know that until I went through the process. And then when I went through the process, I was like, oh shit, like there's literally nothing for me to do. Um, and so that's why like, you know, this idea, like exactly your point of the difficulty of getting back to Canada, um, 
I just, you know, I was, I was stuck. Like I was like, I, I can't, you know, get in. And, you know, thankfully I've had friends who have gotten, you know, kind of similar situations to me. They got rid of the McKee. They did, they added another exam that you could do that you could take again if you didn't get a good score. So like things have changed. And so like people got back together, but I'm not saying, but for me at the time when I was applying back, it was a shit show basically. Uh, and so because of that, I didn't get a job. I didn't get any interviews. So I like, I didn't have a job in Canada that year. And then also this program, which is a, kind of a side story, I don't want to go too into it, but basically they, even though we trained in the UK, um, they didn't allow us that year to get a UK residency job, which is so stupid because they also have a shortage of doctors in the UK as well. And here's all these people from Canada that they trained that they didn't give a job to, which ended up being a bunch of bullshit um, because like they blamed the government, they blamed the school, they blamed other people. And we, have to, we actually have to fight for it. So like our year, like me, like we, we t contacted lawyers, we like thought about talking to the media, we went to the Dean of Medicine, we went to like the Dean of Edinburgh University. Um, and eventually, thankfully, things got changed. But because of that, I had the year off. And so that year off was when, you know, I, I kind of mentioned before, I, I sort of went through the thing, I was, I was into something different. And so it's interesting now, because now looking back, I am so thankful that I fucked up or failed. Like, I'm so thankful that like, I didn't do well at that exam. No, like seriously, because I know if I did and I got a job, I would be doing medicine. Like it wasn't like, I, I didn't have the foresight to say like, oh, you know, like I want to be so, doing something else, like for sure, right after medical school, it was again, luck and timing and circumstances worked out really well. I was super grateful for it. And I just saw this other opportunity. I was like, okay, I'm just going to push and see where this goes. Um, and so, yeah, talking about like, you know, getting back to, to Canada, it's, it's, it's hard, man. Like, especially for internationals, even if you're Canadian, like there's no benefit. And the thing that you realize is like, like I had friends who they didn't do nearly as much research. They didn't do nearly as much electives, they didn't do nearly a thing, but they got good grades on those tests and they got interviews and they got jobs. And so like, that's the thing that I realized for me that you get, I just didn't have the information at the time. Would it have changed how I studied? I'm not really sure. You never know. Um, but yeah, like it's, it, it was more marks dependent than I thought. Um, and so, yeah, it was essentially that, that was kind of the story of, of my difficulty getting back. That must've been like absolutely heartbreaking at the, at that time to, yeah. to like finish that exam and to realize like, there's kind of no way out because you can't yeah. practice, um, in the NHS and you can't yeah. practice in Canada. So like, yeah, why, why did you think to go the, the route of that master's or drug discovery? Was that like a reflexive path or was that something that you and your family have thought of, had thought of during that time? So it was, I would say more reactionary ish in terms of yeah. like, well, I wanted to, so essentially like I kind of, so when I was studying for finals was around February of my final year and we found out like March basically. Right. But I knew I didn't get any interviews from like December or whatever. So I was like, okay, I'm not going back to Canada this year. That's fine. And I still wasn't sure. But by the time I was studying for finals, I was like, okay, I'm kind of out of this. Like, I really don't, like, I don't know if I love this. I want to see if I can take a year to do something different. And so at the time I actually started talking to like bankers and consultants. So I interviewed for a consulting firm actually in April of that year um, in London, didn't end up getting it. And then interviewed for a bank a couple of weeks later and didn't end up getting that either. But so I was already having ideas of like, okay, I want to do something different. And so the backup for that year was this sort of drug discovery firm measure degree. And the reason I picked that one was because I had a friend from undergrad who went to that program. She did it. She got a job out of it. And she was like, listen, like you with an MD background, you come into here, you can get any job you want in a farm industry, no problem, because you're an MD. Like you have this and like, I think their place for me was like 80 to 90% in terms of getting a job. I was like, okay, that's great. And so I had a conversation with my parents. I was like, listen, like, you know, I've all, I already know that I kind of don't want to do this. I want to see if I can do something different. Like this year feels like a good thing where I'm still getting an education. I'm still busy. I'm still doing something and I can get a job out of it. And so I also like, I, you know, I went down to London. I talked to the program director. I met like people on staff and like, I, I looked through the syllabus and everything. I was like, oh, this is a great, like it's a year. 
I get to learn all this stuff. It's really cool, like from an industry perspective. Um, and so that was kind of the reason to, to sort of go down that path. Mm -hmm. And I mean, did you get, I guess, did you get to be part of that like 89% placement rate in terms of getting a job out of the drug discovery route? So, so I, so like, so I didn't, I didn't end up, so this is the thing. I didn't actually end up doing that degree. So I didn't, okay. I didn't do this master's degree. So, so initially what happened was the plan was I was going to do it. So, so basically I graduated July, uh, end of June, 2018, the master's yeah. degree started, uh, end of September. Okay. So the entire summer I was applied to jobs, got rejected from all of them. Then August comes around. My dad says, Hey, like, have you heard of this thing called venture capital? I'm like, not really, but okay. Um, I thought it was literally, a, you know, the show Silicon Valley, you know, when they talk about like tech and all of that stuff, I literally thought it was that. So I didn't know it was, I, I genuinely didn't know that healthcare VC existed. Like I literally had no idea. Um, and he's like, oh, have you heard of it? And so literally what I did was I just cold emailed like 75 VC firms around the world. I said, hey, like I just graduated medical school. I would love to talk to you if you had any advice for me on my career and what I'm doing. And as you can imagine, most people don't respond. A couple of people did, which was really nice. Some people got on the phone. And then this one group and ventures got back to me and said, hey, we have an internship program in six months. Are you interested? And what's crazy is when I sent the email, that program wasn't advertised. So I didn't even know it existed, right? So it was literally like a shot in the dark. I have no idea. And again, up, you have to remember up to this point, I'd applied to all these jobs. I got rejected. I was like, okay, yeah, of course I'm interested, but I'm not going to get this job. No way they're going to take a chance on me. Uh, and so that was why the, this master's program was always in the background. So that was like my essentially like backup plan almost, um, because I knew like I was going to London to do this master's degree if I didn't get this job. Like that was the plan. And so, yeah, basically went through like three rounds of interviews and they're like, yeah, we really like you. We'll see you in Amsterdam. And so that's like literally like it was three days before I was about to move to London. Like to completely change my life around. I had to like, you know, figure out how to get to Amsterdam, figure out all of the stuff, how to live and all of that. Um, so yeah, so I, I didn't actually end up doing the degree, but um, still I think would have been, would have been really interesting because their placement rate was so good. So why aren't you still with Ventures? I was an internship. So it was an internship for six months. Um, and basically halfway through, they said like, oh, you know, um, we don't have a job for you basically after. So like, you know, we can help you try and get a job after, but like we're, you, you can't really stay. And I was like, okay, no problem. And so did essentially the same kind of, recruiting, research, reaching out to people, cold calls, emails, like talks, conversations, everything I could. Um, and yeah, eventually was fortunate. I got three final round, three final round interviews with three firms. One was in uh, Germany, one was in San Fran, and one was in Canada with Amplitude. And I thought, you know what? I At that point, I'd been gone from Canada for seven years. I was like, damn, if I can come home and build something here in Canada, like, sure, I'll do it. Uh, and so that's kind of how I joined, ended up joining uh, back in 2019. And like in the past two minutes, you've alluded multiple times to recruiting content and et cetera. And you, mm -hmm. you've actually got like a process down. So you have a post on Medium mm -hmm. called, uh, so you want to be a VC. And uh, namely you highlight like prioritize, contact and recruit. One yep. of the questions that I always ask guests when they come on is how they would explain a concept that's important to them to a five-year-old with only monosyllabic and bisyllabic words. So okay. I don't know what kind of five-year-old you talk to. And okay. Emma was the most popular girl name in 2022. So for example, can you explain to little Emma how she could become or how she could join the VC world? Okay, so so Emma, I would say, firstly, Emma, you have to figure out what you like to do. So I think that's really important. It's like, you know, do you like numbers? Do you like science? Do you like, clin like clinical stuff? Do you like research? Um, like what kind of role do you like? I think that's the first thing. Also thinking about where do you want to live? So for me, that was a big question. Like, do you want to live in Europe? Do you want to live in Canada? Do you want to live in the US? Do you want to live elsewhere? Um, because that also limits kind of uh, kind of how you're doing. Uh, and then in terms of reaching out to people, it's really just, okay, so once you know what you kind of like to do, you make a list of like the things you like to do, basically, like the jobs or, or ideas, then you basically go online, you just type it in Google, 
firms that do this kind of thing. So, you know, let's say venture capital, you type in healthcare venture capital on Google and say, well, who are the healthcare venture capital firms in the world? You make a list of all of them. You get, you look at their website, you see what they do, you see where they're located, you see who, who the contact person is. And then essentially you start to reach out to them. And so when you reach out to them, you just send a short email, very quick note, and you say, hey, this is my name. This is who I am. Looks super interesting. Here's my background. I would love to have a conversation with you if you're open to it. If not, not a, not a problem. And that's it. And then you, but you also have to make sure you send it to enough people. So, little, you know, Emma, you, you can't do it to one person. You can't do it to five people. You have to send it to 50 people or 100 people. Um, literally as many as you can, because the, the point is what, what you end up learning, what I learned is that all it takes is one person to say yes. Um, but if you limit yourself by only applying to a small amount of opportunities, then you haven't done the work. Basically, like, like, like it's, it's much harder to be successful versus if you send it to as many people as possible. Because the most important thing to me at the beginning is the first job, like getting in. Getting in is the hardest part because once you're in, then you can make your career and then you can do everything else. And, and it's much easier kind of after that. Um, and so, so Emma, once you've sent the emails, maybe you've got some responses, people come back to you, then it's, you have to learn how to have a conversation. You have to learn how to talk to people. You have to learn what should you ask them about. Um, you have to learn, you know, how do you, how do you speak about what they're doing and their interests? Um, cause the thing as well, I've learned is whenever you're talking to people, particularly with recruiting, always make it about them. Um, and this is the thing that I think people do very poorly, mostly in networking is they talk about themselves so much and they don't, they don't show interest in the other person. I actually think it's backwards where most of your conversation should be about the other person and other individual, because everybody likes to talk about themselves, Emma, like, you know, we all do. Um, and, and then once they, once they talk about themselves for 25 minutes, uh, if you, let's say a half hour conversation, then they talk about themselves for 25 minutes. They feel really good about themselves because they get to tell you about their story and what they're doing. And then at the end you say, Hey, by the way, you know, I'm looking for things or, you know, if you have advice or resources on people I should reach out to, please let me know. And then you literally do that again and again and again and again and again. And I think, you know, when I was recruiting and when I did this, I think I had maybe over 50 conversations the second time, if not more. Um, and so you're talking to everybody that will talk to you, right? So you eventually just get in the habit and you have to go and go and go. And you, again, it's, it's also, you know, it can of course be demoralizing. And that's the other thing I would say to Emma is like, you know, don't get frustrated. Like, it's okay. It will take time. Like, you know, things may, may happen. They may not, it's all good. Just stick to it. Like stick to the plan, keep it consistent, be disciplined about it. And don't also don't take things personally. If somebody says no to you, not a problem. Like you can move on. It's okay. It's not personal. It's all good. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I hope that kind of covers most of the things and that was simple enough, but. That's, that's the way I would kind of think about it. First, you have to figure out what do you like to do. You reach out to the people that do that thing. You have conversations with them. And essentially, you talk about, the, talk about them and then see where it goes from there. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.